All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? We good? Fired up, ready, man. Welcome to church. Welcome everyone watching with us online uh, right now, man. It's awesome we get to hang out here together. Uh, we are in our last week of Dirty Stinky Stables, which has been a, a great series. But man, what a day. We're celebrating three baptisms today. Small groups are underway. Baseball season has officially begun. Man, things are good, but uh, I got a little bone to pick with you men. Ladies went absolutely nuts when they heard she was tomorrow night. And men, we got like three of us here. I mean, what's going on? And we'll go to a football game, we'll rip our shirt off, paint our chest, and lose our minds, but men coming to Jesus, eh, not that big of a deal. Come on, man, let's, let's step up and let's be men. Uh, if you want to go ahead and pull out your notes inside your worship God, follow along with us today. This idea of dirty, stinky stables uh, has been such a great series where all month long we're just we're talking about people. And the theme verse that we're using is Proverbs 14.4. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large Harvest. And what that's saying that, man, things would be so much better if it weren't for these oxen. Like the stables would be clean. They wouldn't be messy. They wouldn't stink. We wouldn't have to shovel up all the you-know-what to make sure that this is okay. But we need the oxen for the harvest. We need the oxen to plow the fields and how that relates to us. Because I say this verse of Scripture probably way more than I ever should just to be reminded that, hey, life would be a lot easier without people. But we kind of need people. People are important. In fact, people in relationships are probably the greatest thing that, that God has given us, but also perhaps our greatest curse, because people can be very, very difficult to deal with. And all month long, we're talking about people, and we're talking about those relationships. In week one, we talked about the know-it-all. And you know who they are. They know everything. They're better than you are. They know it all. Week two, we talked about the lazy bones. Week three, we talked about the manipulator. And today, we're wrapping the series up with the critic. And you know what I'm talking about, that person who is critical about every little thing that you've ever done. They're incredibly critical of everything. And I'm not necessarily talking about constructive, positive criticism, because we all need some criticism in our life, but not those who are building us up and trying to make us better. We need that. I'm talking about the negative criticism, the one that is just so relentless, the one that is destructive and belittling, and it's just nagging, and it's just cruel, and it's just all the time. And someone's thinking, man, I wish my mother-in-law was here for this one. That's okay, just send her the link, it's gonna be okay, and then you fight that conversation out on your own. But we deal with nagging and, and, and critical people all the time, and here's the thing, we can't avoid it. It's going to happen. We criticize, it's just the way that we're wired. We criticize people for just who they are, for what they do for a living. We criticize you for how you post on social media. We criticize you for how you dress. I can't believe she would wear that, can you believe that? We criticize you for how you dress your children. We criticize you for how you cheer for your children at their games. We criticize you if you are well off, if you've made money, if you're successful, where they're just entitled. They were given that. They didn't work hard for that. We, we criticize you if you try to take care of yourself and you want to look good. We criticize you saying they're just vain and they're just self-centered. If you're confident, we criticize you saying that they think they're better than everyone else. We criticize the last vacation that you went on saying, I know they're in debt. They can't afford anything like that. And it's just over and over and over and over again. We're extremely critical of people around us. Critical people can never find anything good in anything. 
They find the negative in everything. It's the after-taxes guy. You know who after-taxes guy is? After-taxes guy says, $500 million, just won $500 million on the lottery. This is great. After-taxes guy says, yeah, but it's only like $220 million after-taxes. I mean, what's the point of even that? Still $220 million. After-taxes guy is critical, and he's negative. You don't ever want to be after-taxes guy. But they make us feel like, man, why do we even try to do anything? And they're just so critical in our lives. In fact, you know, we have TV critics, and they're critical of TV shows. And these guys, you know, listen, just being honest, I think they're kind of dumb. I don't understand what they're doing. Here's some things they said about some legendary TV shows that we have all know and love. They said Full House was a My Three Dads ripoff. Wouldn't last. They said that Home Improvement wasn't groundbreaking at all. That Friends, one of the greatest shows of the 90s and early 2000s, was just a mundane filler that nobody is going to care to watch this. That Seinfeld was obsolete and irrelevant. That The Office, come on, The Office, Michael Scott, Dunder Mifflin, the go-to in our house, man, things nothing's on. That it would never connect with anybody. It won't last more than a season. What are these people thinking? But had we listened to the critics, to what they said about these shows, these modern-day classics wouldn't be around anymore. Nobody would have watched. Well, the critics said, this you know, fails to connect with people. That it's just a mundane filler. It's not worth my time. And we would have never done that. So how does that translate to our own lives? You know, how do, do the critics in our lives, if we listen to them and take everything into account that what they say, what might the world be missing out on if we do that? How do we deal with the critics in our life? Here's the deal. No matter who you are, no matter how much you care, no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to avoid criticism altogether. We just can't do it. It's going to be there. And we shouldn't try to avoid criticism at all costs. Because if we try to avoid criticism, when we spend all our effort and all of our time and all of our energy avoiding criticism, we're not going to be able to fulfill the purpose and the mission that we have in front of us because we're trying to avoid the criticism. So we're going to walk through three things today that can help us with dealing with the criticism that we see in our lives. So let's pray and we'll die into the word today. God, we love you. And we're just so thankful to get to be together. And we just want to pray over your word. Pray that it reaches us right where we are. You know exactly what we need. You know exactly what we need to hear. There are things we've walked in here with that some people don't know anything about. But God, you do. And God, I just pray you'll speak to us. You'll speak to the critical things in our lives. The things that we just feel like we can't get over. That we can't get past, God. That will be brought to the surface. It will be given to you because you are the one who can do all things. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, how do we crash the critic? How do we deal with the critic? First thing is we must have resolve. We got to have resolve. We got to have determination where, you know, when things go wrong, we're not just going to bow down. We're not just going to give up, but we're going to have resolve in what we're doing. Look at Matthew chapter 12 with me. Starts in verse 24. It says, but when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, ah, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan the prince of demons. And Jesus responds in verse 33. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If, it, if the tree is good, the fruit will be good. If the tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil per person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So to set the stage right here, Jesus just healed a man freedom from demons. And here come the Pharisees and they're criticizing them. Like, well, I mean, listen, let's just... Uh, hold, pump the brakes real quick. Why are we so excited about this? And you may 
hear this and think, well, that's just kind of crazy. Why would they be so critical of this? But we're all guilty of it too. We criticize things just off the basis that we might see things, not really fully understanding everything. Just because we see it a certain way doesn't necessarily make it true. I mean, take me for instance. You see me. I'm speaking to you from a platform. My wife and I have a a podcast and we talk and we talk and talk. You may think, well, this guy's an extrovert. He loves being in front of people and doing this. That could not be further from the truth. Not an extrovert at all. In fact, I'd probably much rather be in a back corner somewhere just kind of being left alone. That perception isn't necessarily the reality. It's not always what we see. And when we have Jesus here, he's just healed a man. He's just cast out demons. And here come the Pharisees. They're like, well, hold on now. The only reason he's able to cast out demons, I got it. He's getting all his power from Satan, the prince of demons. And we got to hear that. And Jesus is thinking the same thing. Like anyone with any type of functioning brain can understand that Why in the world would someone who gets all of their power from Satan, the prince of demons, cast out demons from other people? In fact, wouldn't it be the complete opposite where maybe he's trying to make sure demons are in everybody instead? And Jesus is kind of reasoning this. And that's why he goes on to say, listen, you can identify a tree by its fruit. You can identify a person by their fruit. Are they producing good or are they producing evil? I mean, we would think that the Pharisees would see this being these high level religious leaders being, you know, so in tune with their faith that they would love this. Like, Jesus, this is incredible. This is amazing, Jesus. How did you do this? This is unreal. Jesus, how can we help you? Listen, I know so many other people who are sick and who need healing and who have demons also. Can I bring you to them so you can heal them also? Or better yet, can we bring all the people we know to you so you can heal them instead? That's what should be happening. But they're so critical of Jesus performing this miracle and helping somebody. I don't want nothing to do with it. Take Celebrate Recovery that happens here every Friday night, for example. It's an amazing ministry. The things that have come out of that, the restoration that has happened from that, where anyone from any walk of life can come here Friday nights, and it is incredible. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've encountered, what you've experienced. You're welcome. It's for people with hurts, habits, and hangups. And let's be honest, we've all got them. But to come here and to be experienced Jesus and to experience community and what true healing looks like, But the criticism from the outside happens all the time. Well, you're that church that has all those people outside smoking on Friday nights. You know what kind of look that is? Those people outside smoking in front of a church. You know how bad that is? Listen, we'd much rather be outside of a church smoking than maybe somewhere else doing something else. In fact, if you ask me, let's fill the parking lot with thousands of people smoking cigarettes. Though they can come in and experience Jesus. The Pharisees are doing the exact same thing here with Jesus. They're saying, don't you know how this looks? Who cares? People are experiencing healing. So what causes this type of criticism? Typically, it's our our vision is clouded. Typically, we're jealous of what may be going on. We're kind of casting our own disappointments as far as what's happened in our own lives. We just don't understand, and we begin to pass judgment. We're projecting our own insecurities on other people things that we've experienced on other people. And that's when the the criticism can just get relentless. It can just be awful to the point where it's like, well, you can't even chew right. Like you can't even walk the right way. Will you just breathe like a normal person already so I don't have to hear you? And those type of things happen. Overly critical. But I love how Jesus attacks this. Jesus is just at the end of the day saying, hey, the truth is going to win out. Everything that overflows from the heart, it's going to come to the light. 
The truth is going to win out no matter what you may say about it. So how do we do this? How do we have resolve? Because in our current world, in our current culture, we're so conditioned to operate our lives based off of everybody else and what everyone else thinks. That we operate based off of our likes, based off of our followers on social media, based off the comments, based off the views, and that's the most important thing in the world to us. And we do everything we can to try and make sure that that stays good and increases. And that's just really a new way to look at it rather than being brand new at all. The fact is, that's kind of how we've always operated just in the past before social media. We just wanted to keep up with the Joneses. We just wanted to have that status that everyone else did. We wanted people to look at us in a certain light and in a certain way. And we, we're, we're, we're catering our life to that so we can have that. So how do we have defense against the critic? How do we have this type of resolve? The first thing, real quick one, is know who you are. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he was doing. Know who you are. Not what someone said. Not what that person said on social media. Not what that family member said. Not what that friend said. Know who you are, what God says about you. That you are his child. That you know, Ephesians 2.10, that you are his masterpiece. Regardless of what everyone else thinks. To know exactly who you are. The second one, know who you stand for. Know what you stand for. Know what you're willing to do for it. Because if, no, if you stand for nothing, you won't fall for anything either. You just won't. The moment things get difficult, the moment things get hard, man, I'm going to bow out. I'm going to go somewhere else. That wasn't what I thought it was. What do you stand for? You do not gain your value or your worth from other people. Know that. Know who you are. Know who you, what you stand for. And know that your value is based not on someone else's opinion. That's how we have resolve. It's exactly what Jesus did. He stood on the fact that the truth would always present itself. My wife likes to say, what happens in the dark will always come out in the light. Everything is always going to come out in the light, period. We have to have determination. We have to have resolved. So what's your value? What's your worth? What's that based on? What's that look like? Are we listening to our critics? We're listening to what God has told us and operating in, in the way in which he has formed us to be. We must have resolve. The second thing is we need to have reason. There's got to be reason in our life. In other words, we've got to understand the why behind the what. Look at John chapter 11 with me. This is verse 37. This is right around. This is, what, this is Lazarus. This is Jesus' buddy who's dead. Lazarus is going to raise him from the dead. It says, but some said... This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus responded in this way. He said, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So that they will believe that you sent me. This is Lazarus. People are wondering, what in the world is Jesus doing? They're second-guessing everything that is going on here. Like, I mean, he healed a blind man. Healed a man who couldn't walk. He healed that person of leprosy. He brought demons out of people. Couldn't he have at least saved Lazarus from dying? Man, you're too late. What were you doing? What were you thinking in this situation? That's exactly what's happening here. Listen, critical people will not always understand the why behind the what. They'll see you do one thing, and they'll question it, and they'll second-guess it because they did not understand the why behind it. Understanding the why, understanding why you're here, why you're doing what you're doing, makes it much easier and much more successful to carry out the what it is we're doing. When you take Cultivate Church, for example, 
our pastors, Brandon Doss and Brandon Matthews, had this idea where, hey, we're going to plant a church together. We're going to be co-lead pastors. Do you know how hard that was? You know how people told them no? How many people said, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. How can you have two people lead one church? What's that about? And they were told no time and time and time again. Like, no, we're not going to support that. That's the worst idea. It's going to fail. But they had a reason. They knew the why. They knew what God had called them to do, and they weren't going to let anything stand in the way. Church gets planted. Second week, the Connect cards, we talk about them every single week. They started in week one. The second week, there was a Connect card filled out front to back. Every little simple space was filled in telling them exactly how they should run their church and what Sunday morning needs to look like. Critical over every little thing. The song should be this, and this should happen. You need this, and you need that, and you need this, and you need that, and you should do church this way, not that way. That's a terrible idea. And that's what they were told. If they had listened to the critics, I guarantee you, we would not be here today. But they knew the why. They knew what they were supposed to be doing, and it's been true for 12 years now. To not listen to all the critics when we understand the why behind the what we're supposed to do. Because when we start listening to everyone second-guessing us, what do we do? We second-guess ourselves. Like, you ever been in a setting, you know, in a classroom at school or, you know, in a meeting or any type of presentation, and someone asks a question, they're expecting someone to answer on it? What always happens? Everyone just stands there with a dumb look on our face like we don't know what's going on. But in reality, we've listened to everyone second-guess us. We're beginning second-guessing ourselves. They ask the question, and we start to say, well, I know that answer. It's clearly this. I've known that for 20 years. That's the answer to this. But why would they ask that? Are they asking a trick question? Why would they ask a trick question? They're not trying to trick us, are they? Am I wrong? I thought it was this, but I'm pretty sure it's that now. But maybe I've been wrong my entire life. Ooh, I really don't want to speak up. I could raise my hand and answer the question, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to look stupid. What if I am wrong? We have this inner dialogue where we're so scared to do anything because we're second-guessing ourselves. It's what's known as the imposter syndrome. Anytime we get into any type of position... Any type of leadership, we do anything at all, we begin to question everything about it. Where are we an imposter? You get that promotion, you get that job, you get that leadership position, you get whatever it is and you begin to question yourself, did they make the right decision? Like, am I really supposed to be here? Can I, can I really do this? Maybe I can't. Maybe they got it wrong. Maybe I'm not the right person for this. What am I supposed to do? Can I handle it? What if I can't handle it? What if I look foolish? What if I make a mistake? And we begin to have this inner dialogue where we're second-guessing everything we're doing because we don't fully understand the why behind the what we are supposed to be doing. Knowing your why. So what is your why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Took my son yesterday to uh, baseball lessons. He was working on pitching, and they're getting ready to throw a bullpen, and his coach was talking to him about pitching and the kind of ins and outs of pitching and just getting ready for the season and to work on a few things. And, you know, they're talking about when to throw certain pitches and what locations and how to make sure you locate your pitch. And he was talking to him about there's actually not just a home plate. There's uh, thirds to the plate. There's the inner third, middle third, and the outer third. You want to make sure you locate this pitch on this side of the plate during this time. And just talking through it all so he could understand it. And what he told him, he says, Cash, I don't want you to be a good pitcher. I want you to understand why it is you are a good pitcher. Changes everything. When we understand the why, we can so much easier carry out the what it is we're supposed to do. He can pitch well when he understands the why he is doing what he is supposed to be doing. So in your own life, in every aspect, 
why do you do blank? Why do I do blank in my marriage? Why do I do blank when I'm parenting? Why do I do blank in my finances, in my career, in my faith? Why do I do this? And just understanding what that why is. Now, I'll throw a little answer out there for you. Our ultimate why is simply because of Jesus. He, at the end of the day, should be our why in everything. Because Jesus is in your story. Whatever your story looks like, when Jesus is in the story, that's the why. And when Jesus is in your story, all bets are off. It doesn't matter what it looks like. All bets are off when Jesus shows up in your story. There's nothing that can't happen with Jesus in your story. And you may be thinking, well, I don't necessarily have that why. Jesus, I don't know if he can be in my story. You see, I've made some mistakes. I've got some problems. I've hurt some people. I've hurt those people again. I've hurt myself. I don't know if I'm deserving to have Jesus in my story. But when Jesus is in our story, everything changes. When we look at this story, when we look at Lazarus, this is just a dead guy in a tomb until Jesus is in the story. When Jesus is in the story, everything changes and Lazarus comes back from the dead because Jesus was in the story. They questioned Jesus. They were second guessing him. He could have just healed him and this would have never happened. Why in the world would Jesus allow him to die and allow this to happen? And so every one of us today can know that whenever Jesus is in your story, that is the opportunity where dead, we can be dead in our sin and we can come back to life. The reason Lazarus was dead and came back to life is so we can know that I too was once dead in my sin, but because of Jesus, because Jesus is in my story, resurrection is possible, redemption is possible, life is possible with Jesus in my story. The reason why we do anything is because Jesus is in the story. And if he is, a, if he is for us, there's nothing that can be against us. So with the God of the universe on your side, all bets are off. That's the reason why. Dealing with the critical people in our lives, Jesus is in the story. He's there. We must have resolve. We must have reason. And number three is response. We have to be able to respond. Look at John chapter 6, verse 41. It says, Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Wait a second, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus responds in verse 48. He says, Yes, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. They're thinking like, hold up. I grew up with Joseph. I grew up with Jesus' mama and daddy. I know that he did not come from heaven. That is Mary and Joseph's kid. That's exactly what's going on right here. And there, Jesus could have easily just reacted to this. Are you kidding me? Questioning Jesus, who he is. Jesus could have quickly gone into table flipping mode and just kind of went nuts on these guys. But he didn't. He responded. And there's a huge difference between reaction and response. You see, when we react to something, it's usually not good. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's emotional. It's feelings-based. The Bible teaches us the heart is the most deceitful among all things. Man, when we make feelings-based decisions, it's not good. We see something we don't like on social media. We take out that phone and say, you're such a... Yeah, got him. And then we look down real quick and said, oh, no. I did Y-O-U-R instead of Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. I'm such an idiot. 
Because that was a reaction. That's a dumb feelings-based decision. Instead, to be able to respond. Jesus was able to respond. Listen, I've experienced reaction versus response plenty of times in my life. One case in particular, my wife and I, we lived in Tampa, Florida at the time. And one of the things we liked to do whenever we lived in Tampa was we liked to go to Clearwater Beach. We liked to go to Treasure Island or over in St. Pete Beach. Favorite place to go. On the weekends, that's where we'd go. And we'd jump on the Howard Franklin Bridge and we'd, you know, ride across into St. Pete, go to the beach. Think about the Howard Franklin Bridge is sometimes it gets congested. It's a very, very popular bridge. There's three ways to go, but this was the closest one to our house. So this is the way we're going to go. One particular weekend, we're driving along, and sure enough, traffic happens, and we're kind of stopped, and we begin to start going just a little bit and start moving. We're in the right-hand lane. There's a middle lane. There's a left lane. There's a lot of traffic out there. So we begin to go a little bit, and I just give a little honk on the horn, just a little one, not one of those mean, aggressive honks, you know, like, nothing like that, just a nice, like, hey, how you doing? I'm right over here. And whenever I did that, this guy did, he reacted. He didn't respond in any way. He reacted. He turned to us. He starts waving his arms and he's screaming and yelling. And he wanted to make sure that we knew what the state bird of Florida was. And he showed us with both hands whenever he did that. And man, he was so mad about everything that was going on. And lucky for him, at the last split second, he was able to turn around and slam on his brakes. That way he didn't smash into the back of the 18-wheeler in front of us. But what he would have known had he not reacted and he would have responded instead is that light little tap on the horn was saying, hey, man, I got you a spot over here if you want to get out behind those trucks so you can carry on. But because of his reaction, it was emotional based, could have been catastrophic. So I want to ask you this question. How many times have we possibly missed an invitation from God because we weren't prepared to respond? Instead, we reacted to the situation around us. Probably more times than we can actually count. It's reaction versus response. We see that Jesus responded here. He didn't internalize it. He didn't just shove it down like we're told to do for so long. He didn't entertain it, but he confronted it with the response. Sometimes with our critics, we have to have that confrontation. We have to have that talk. We just do. But look how Jesus did it. He did it with confidence. He said, yes, I am the bread of life. He did it with conviction. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And most importantly, he did it with concrete truth. He said, anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Confidence, conviction, truth. That's how we respond to critics. No matter what's going on, that's how we respond to the critic. But here's what I know. The critics can be loud sometimes. But I believe that we can all understand this, that oftentimes the loudest critic is ourself. That inner critic is deafening at times. And we don't know what's going on. Listen, if that resonates with you at all, I know exactly what you're feeling. That inner critic is something I deal with every single day. It's something I've dealt with my entire life. It's just that inner critic. You know who I'm talking about. If you would have done it this way, it would have been better. You almost made it not bad, but should have been better. Man, if you would have just listened to this, you would have been better off. Man, if you would have handled that conversation differently, it should have gone better for you. Man, if you would have just done this, it could have been better. In fact, you know, I don't know if you're necessarily cut out for this. Maybe you're not. I don't know that you're worthy at all. I don't know that you'll ever be good enough. I don't think you're going to make it. Someone else is probably better off than you are. Sound familiar? That inner critic who just beats you to death day after day, after day, if you felt that, I know exactly what you feel. I know exactly what it is you're going through. I know exactly 
what that sounds like. But we fight that inner critic the same way that we fight the critics that we encounter every single day. We know our why. We have resolve. We have determination. Because we're prepared with this response. We respond confidently in who Jesus has called us to be. We respond confidently knowing that I am a child of God and that he is for me and he is not against me. We respond with conviction. We respond with that concrete truth. We tell that lie of the enemy that is talking to us every single day how bad we are and how we're not going to make it. That no, I am a child of God. Know that he says he will never leave me, that he will not forsake me. That no, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the way to the Father is through him. That know that it is the truth that sets me free. And I know that Jesus is the truth. It's believing with concrete truth that John 3, 16 is true. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's having the concrete truth. Knowing that that inner critic is a lie of the enemy because it's not true. Because Jesus didn't say it. God doesn't say it. We respond. We understand our why. We respond. Listen, I want to pray for you. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, our worship team's going to come back up. And said, so if you're new, if you're new here, no one's coming to get you. Nothing, nothing weird's going to happen or anything like that. But I believe that maybe a lot of times we react instead of respond, and that maybe today, maybe this is an opportunity to respond, to respond with confidence, to respond with conviction. To respond knowing the concrete truth of what God tells us. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is faithful. That he is full of grace. He is full of mercy. That he truly does take our sin and take it from one end of the earth to the other. To bury it into the depths of the ocean. That if we just believe in him, we will not perish, but we'll have eternal life with him. That's how we battle the critics. That's how we battle ourselves. That's how we battle the enemy. It's called the accuser for the reason. The biggest critic of all. And it starts with just a response. Man, if that's you today, today's the opportunity to just respond. So you step forward in front of the Father and say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I know that you sent Jesus for me. You sent Jesus to die on a cross for me. And today's the day I want to respond. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. I make Jesus number one in my life. And God, I just pray that all of us, as we, as we deal with the everyday, God, we deal with all of the stuff we deal with the people. We deal with the critics. God, we deal with that inner critic in ourselves. God, I pray that your voice is louder than all of them. God, I pray we can try and just cut the distractions. Just cut all the other stuff out and just focus solely on you. Because you are faithful. Because you are good. Because you are for us. The God, that we will believe that all those of us who are heavy burden and carry the heavy weight, that we'll give it to Jesus because he will give us rest. God, that whatever it is we're walking through, we'll just hand it to you and we'll focus solely on you. That when you're with us, 
no one can be against us. And God will give you all the credit for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we honor Jesus together, church? Come on. Hey, listen, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, please mark that on your Connect card. You're not in this thing alone. We want to celebrate with you. And we want to send you some next steps uh, in your faith journey, okay? Hey, we're going to transition to an opportunity to give. Uh, if you're our guest today, this isn't for you. It's how we push the mission forward, how we do what God's called us to do as a church. Uh, we believe in generosity, so we just make it super easy. There's plenty of ways right up on the screen. Uh, if you're online, right there in front of you on the screen, there's plenty of ways to give uh, because we believe in generosity. We just want to make it super simple to do. Uh, there's a passage of Scripture in the, in, in the book of Mark, chapter 12, where Jesus and his disciples are sitting uh, at the temple and there's, they're, they're bringing offerings. And Jesus says that uh, as, as, as they're sitting there, he sat down opposite of the treasury and he watched everybody come and they were bringing their offering. And he said so many people were giving out of their abundance, uh, meaning, meaning they gave what was left over out of everything else that they had. And it said very many rich people just came and dropped large amounts of money. And it says there was this one lady who, who gave a mite, and it says that she gave all that she had. It said it amounted to a cent in, in today's uh, money. And he asked his disciples, who do you think walked away with the, with the most out of this give, out of doing this? And, and he said, truly I say to you, the poor widow put in more than all of the contributors in the treasury, for they, uh, they all put in out of their surplus. She gave out of her poverty. In other words, she gave sacrificially. And, and I've learned this in my own faith, my own faith journey, that giving out of abundance, uh, meaning giving out what, what's left over. Uh, anytime I've ever done that, if you ever felt good about doing something, you're like, man, look what, look what I did. Glad I was able to help them. Glad I was able to do that. And then there's a, then there's those opportunities where you give sacrificially, where you give and you know. It, it reminded me of what happened here. This lady walked away, going, God, I need you. I need you more than I do anything else. And so when we give sacrificially, it promotes our faith in Him more than our, more than our pride in one another. Giving out of abundance, that just kind of promotes pride in us. Giving sacrificially, y'all, oh, it makes all the difference. And so here's my challenge to you this week. Look for an opportunity to sacrificially give to somebody, somewhere, some ministry, something, and just watch what God does in your heart and does in you and through you. Uh, I, I believe it'll make a huge difference in your life, all right? Hey, would you stand with me today? I'm gonna pray a blessing over you as you're dismissed. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you that it's alive and breathing. It's for us. And so I pray because of it that we walk out of this place inspired to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you. Let it make all the difference in our sphere of influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We love you guys.